Good morning, good morning, good morning. Thank you. You can be seated. I don't know if you're standing to just keep yourself awake or what's, uh, what's going on. How many of you guys were not excited when that alarm went off this morning? That was, uh, that was intense. I, my wife and I were actually at some meetings on the East Coast last night, and our flight kept getting delayed. Uh, there was a bunch of storms and whatnot, and uh, so we didn't get in till midnight, previous time, before the clock moved forward. So by the time I fell asleep, uh, had about three and a half hours, uh, the alarm went off, and I was like, I've got to be up in Sock Center in like two hours. And so hopped in my car. We live down uh, in Apple Valley right by the Minnesota Zoo. And uh, so uh, if I look sleepy, it is because I am sleepy. I have had cups of coffee, and I'm hoping they kick in here soon. But uh, it is truly an honor to be back with you. I was here uh, several years ago. I think there was like some plastic right here. You guys were in the middle of a renovation project. So uh, well done. It looks great. And uh, it is always an honor to be invited to a church um, to to be invited back to a church is like, okay, good. I passed the test. I didn't fail the first time. It was okay enough to be invited back. And so, Pastor Kyle, thank you for, for the invitation. Your pastor is extremely well respected uh, among a group of pastors uh, here in the state and beyond. Uh, just his humility and love for Jesus. And uh, um, he brags on you guys a lot. And this is an amazing church. Um, I get to get the privilege of serving as a missions pastor, have been for the past 15 years at a church similar to yours, not River of Life, but River Valley Church, and, uh, and, and love, love doing that. I am a dad. Um, I have three little ones. I, um, uh, am, like I said, I'm a pastor. Uh, I've got three little kids. My last name is Mac. I think I said this last time, but my favorite title, uh, when you put the, the Pastor Mac and Dad, you put it together, it's Pastor Mac Daddy. Uh, that's a pretty cool title when you think of the implications of all those. And uh, I wish my kids could be here, but they were not even close to being awake when I left uh, this morning. I don't even know if they're awake yet, so we'll, we'll see. But um, man, I, <laughs> when, when Kyle said, turn and uh, tell your neighbor that they didn't look like they got enough sleep, I did not do that. Um, but it is true, we did not get enough sleep last night. Um, you may be uh, sitting here and wondering why, why care about Uzbekistan? Like, honestly, I don't even know how to spell it. I don't even know where it's at. I don't, maybe you were here last night. Anne is a dear, dear friend, and uh, what the Lord has used her to do is, is quite remarkable. If you've never uh, gotten the book, or uh, maybe you heard the story last week, or maybe you weren't able to, to watch online because it wasn't streamed, or you weren't able to be here, um, uh, you can... Um, on Amazon or different bookstores, uh, download the book or uh, order the book called Dying Out Loud. Uh, amazing story, amazing story of the journey that God put her on. Um, but she, the Lord has just used her to open up doors to countries and places um, for many, many, many years, um, decades, even longer, that haven't had access to the gospel. Let me try to, I gave this illustration last time I was here, and maybe you've heard this illustration before, but if you haven't, um, a number of years ago, before we had our third kid, um, I was watching our oldest two kids play. So I just at the time had two kids, and this illustration just hit me. The Lord, I feel like, just kind of gave me a glimpse of why the global side of the equation matters. Uh, the, the great commission Jesus gave to his disciples, his followers, those that identified themselves as a follower of Christ, said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Jerusalem, which is the local area, Judea, a little bit larger, um, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Like, all of it matters to him, the local community and the ends of the earth. And if it matters to him, it should matter to us. But there is a big distinction between our local community and the ends of the earth. And, uh, and it hinges on this word called access. And if you don't know the implications and the nuances of why access is such an important word uh, when you're talking about global missions, let me try to illustrate this. So I'm watching my two kids play, and I imagine both of them being lost. Young kids, they're lost. They don't know where their dad is. How many of you guys have heard this illustration before, two lost kids? Okay, good. I'm, I'm not repeating myself. Uh, if you heard it, you forgot it. Here, I'm going to repeat it. So, um, two lost kids. They're both scared. They're both nervous. 
imagine one of the kids is lost inside of this building. And one of the kids is lost in a remote, desolate desert on the other side of the earth. Now, to my kids, to, to me, neither of my kids are more important than the other. They're not more valuable than the other. I love them equally. I would take a bullet for either one of them in a second. They're both lost. Love them equally. The difference is their context and their access to people that can help. You see, my daughter, Amelia, who's 10, 10 years old at this time, if she was lost inside of this building, she has access to people that can help her. She could walk up to anyone in this building, any volunteer, and if you had a friendly face, she might walk up to you and say, can you help me find my dad? And you'd get down on, your, on her level, and you would say, uh, describe what your dad looks like. Without a doubt, she is going to describe a very muscular, handsome person. You're going to have no doubt who she's talking. She's not talking about Pastor Kyle. She's talking. I'm just keeping it real. I'm just keeping it real. She is, you're going to be like, oh, I know who your dad is. It's that guy, right? You're going to be so kind enough to be like, let's find your dad. Now, my son, William, is lost in a remote, desolate desert on the other side of the earth. Statistically speaking, he would walk the rest of his life and never meet anyone that could introduce him to his heavenly father because there isn't a church there. There isn't a missionary there. In many places, there's not even scripture, a Bible that they could access to read. One's not more important than the other. You just have to realize the access that many have on the other side of the earth, like Uzbekistan and other places, is so minimal. In some places, no access. Now, what would you say if somebody uh, heard about my two lost kids and said, let me, let me help you find your two lost kids, and, and, and I've got a million dollars. Go find your two lost kids. And I take 90% of that to find my lost daughter inside of this church building. And 10% of it to, to find my lost uh, son in the remote desolate desert on the other side of the earth. If you personalized it to your kids or to two kids that you loved, you'd say it's not wise, it's not strategic. You might even get angry with me if you thought about it long enough. And you say, that's not right. According to the World Christian Encyclopedia, whose research is accepted by all the Ivy League schools in the world, it's not currently 90% of the resources being spent in our local community and those that have already been found. It's 99.99% of our resources are being spent right here and in communities where people already have access to the gospel and 0.01% to the unreached in places like Uzbekistan. Now that's the 99.99% and the 0.01%. Sometimes that's hard to conceptualize, but just let me put it in perspective. We spent more on Halloween costumes for our pets last year than we did for the unreached, the 42% of the world that's still waiting to hear that Jesus loves them. The unequal distribution of the resources right now in the church across America is an injustice. Our local community, our neighbors, our friends, they're not more or less valuable to the heart of God. There's just a difference of access to hear about the love of God. And we need the pendulum of resources to swing towards those that have never had an opportunity, that don't have access. So you may wonder, why in the world would we take an entire month and focus on the world? And say, I think it's very appropriate to focus on the 42% that don't have access. If, you are a, if you're a note taker, um, that's just a setup to the sermon. Uh, my sermon title today is called, It's Personal. It's personal. And we're going to look at Matthew 15. We're going to look at a whole bunch of scriptures, but we're going to look at a number of scriptures in Matthew 15. So turn to your neighbor that maybe you did say looked sleepy or not and just say, um, it's about to get personal in here. Really personal. If you're super comfortable, why don't you just go ahead and tell them your deepest secret. Just go ahead, neighbor. 
here's my deepest, no, you don't have to do that, but um, when something becomes personal, everything changes. When something moves from like second person, third person distant to super personal to you, everything changes. Your perspective on things, everything changes. My wife and I uh, had the opportunity to go to Whistler, Canada. Some friends were saying like how beautiful this was and they were trying to describe the beauty of these uh, Whistler Mountain and Black O Mountain. It's where the Vancouver Olympic Games were held, basically. Uh, it's just north of Vancouver. They showed us pictures. I mean, they did a really good job describing it, second person, third person. But when we saw it first person, I think we said, wow, like involuntarily, like a hundred times on the trip, just like it was breathtaking. No one could describe it good enough. No picture could capture it well enough. It was just, when it's right in your face, I mean, if you've ever been to the ocean, like somebody can describe the grandeur of it, and at night when it's just beautiful and it's quiet and the stars and the grand of the, you're just like, wow. You can't even, you can't capture it in a picture. I remember before we had kids, uh, people said, your life's about to change. Totally change. And I'm like, that doesn't even make sense live in the same house, have the same job, have the same wife. Like, I, I mean, like, how is my life totally going to change? And then Amelia was born, and everything changed. The filter in which I looked at everything changed in a second. Like, I wasn't anti-kids. Like, I just want you to know, like, I wasn't anti-kids, but if you ask me to watch your kids... I would say, how many seconds and minutes are we talking? Like, are you just running to the restroom and then coming back? Like, how long are we talking? But my kids, like I said before, like, I would do anything. Like, it has my heart, and it changes their perspective on anything. By the way, uh, dads, when you're watching your kids, it's not called babysitting. It's called parenting. <laughs> like, that's part of our job. That's what we're supposed to do. So there's times where uh, we need to give our wife a break, and we need to uh, parent. Um, when, when, when something becomes very personal, everything changes. The filter in which you see things changes. What you value changes. You become more aware of it. You want to educate yourself and understand what's going on when something becomes more personal. Your passion grows. Your sense of urgency and level of importance grows. I remember asking a, a missionary mentor, a friend of mine once, I said, why are you a missionary? Like, why have you chosen this as your life's calling? Like, you could do so many things. Why have you chosen this? And his answer kind of puzzled me at first. And then he explained it, but he said, because I want to go home. And I said, explain that. And he says, well, in Matthew 24, 14, it says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. What he was saying is the prerequisite for the end to come is that all nations would have an opportunity to hear the good news of the kingdom. There's lots of prophecy about wars and rumors of wars, and we get to, we are not get to, we are seeing the effect of it right now. But there is a prerequisite that Jesus said that all nations must hear before the end comes. And what he was saying is, is, I'm tired of the brokenness in the world. I'm tired of the messed up. And he's not just talking about there. He's talking about in here. Like, I'm tired of my own sin. I'm tired of my own faults. I'm, I'm tired of my own failures. And I want the end. I want to just go home. I want to go to heaven. And I want the perfect place that we're promised. But he realizes that there's something that has to happen. And that something is the 42% of the world, the 7,000 people groups that still don't have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's surveys done that 70% of Christians sitting in churches today aren't even aware that there's still one unreached people group, let alone 7,000 people groups that are still waiting to hear that Jesus loves them. The title of this message came to me after I preached at a church much like this a number of years ago. Uh, after service, a lady came up to my wife and was talking to her, and 
I was just kind of eavesdropping on the conversation, and, and this lady was expressing her condolences to my sister, or excuse me, to, to my wife about the loss of her sister. My wife's sister passed away a few years ago to, a, to an ongoing battle with cancer, and she was just telling her how great she, this lady knew uh, my sister-in-law and was just expressing how great um, of, a, of a woman she was, how godly of a woman. She was a pastor's wife, just an amazing Amazing, larger-than-life personality. And, uh, and then she, this lady kind of went on to um, just encourage my wife and the work that we're trying to accomplish through Project 42. And, um, and I just heard my wife say, this isn't like a gig. This isn't like a thing. Like, this is super personal to us. Because we want to go home. I want to see my sister again, is what she said. And I want to see my sister-in-law. And maybe there's, maybe you have lost a loved one and you're like, I just, I want to go home. I remember when uh, missions became personal to me for the very first time. I had heard stories of missionaries, but I got to go on my very first missions trip to Lima, Iquitos, Peru, and I I think I have a picture of of me uh, standing in front of this house. Uh, This is way back in the day. This is, this little boy's name is Ricky Anumadias, and he lived in that house there. Uh, He was one of eight kids, no father in the picture at all, but this little kid had more joy than I understood And I was coming from a context that had far more than he had materially. But the joy and the love and the selflessness, I remember uh, we were gathered at a service and, and, and the leader of the service was like, why don't you just pray for one another? And I tried to pray for him and he stopped me and he just started praying for me. And like missions went from somebody else's story to like first person my story. It was no, no longer somebody else telling me about it. It was like right in my heart. It became so clear to me. And, and at the time, I was 16. I didn't, it was a fun trip. I didn't realize how life-altering, how much the trajectory of my life, the focus, how I viewed things would change. Um, a few years later, I went to uh, another country, a, a communist country, still is communist to this day, and, uh, and I saw a picture, or I saw this girl, um, I think we have a picture there, this is a picture that I ha- have hanging up in my office, um, and you can see the tears coming um, down her face, and, and after, it was a time of prayer, and um, I afterwards I, I got a translator and I, I said, can, can you translate to me what the emotions were about? Like I was just watching you pray and, and you were just, tears were streaming down your face. And she goes, well, I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid. And I was like, I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in the home of a pastor. She says, I was praying for my parents. You see, when my dad goes away to go share the gospel in these villages, around their country, she goes, I don't know if he's ever coming back because what he is doing could cost him his life. If he shares the gospel with the wrong person and they share it with somebody in authority that doesn't like what he's doing, I may never see my dad again. And I'm watching this eight-year-old girl pray and intercede for her dad And I've never once had the thought in my life as a pastor's kid that my dad's life could be taken from him simply because he's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is the reality of this girl and her, her siblings. The cost and the sacrifice that many people have to just share the gospel is difficult for us to understand because it's so free and it's so available and so accessible, but the reality of it is so different. My wife and I just got back from a trip a couple weeks ago uh, where we walked through a, a country where 99.99% of the country has not heard the gospel before. We would sit in cafes and share the gospel with people, and when you would say the name, name of Jesus Christ, they, they would look with a bit of a glazed look because they'd never heard that name before in their life. I'm not talking about decades or centuries ago. I'm talking about days ago. Weeks ago, we were in this country. The access to the gospel of Jesus Christ is not 
available everywhere, and we as the Church of Jesus Christ need to do what we can do. Right before the pandemic shut down the borders of many of the countries, um, my pastor and I were in a, in a country, and I'll, I, because it's being streamed online, I'm not going to say the name of the country, but it's been in the news just recently. Um, it's not Russia or, or Ukraine, but um, it's been in the news just recently because of some of the things that they are doing, um, uh, some of the beheadings, um, mass beheadings, and um, we were asked to go there and to try to encourage the underground church. There's groups of people that are meeting privately in homes all around this country. So a group of pastors were invited to go there, and so we went there. And uh, we were given instructions about what was going to happen before we got to the location and what was happening once we got, or what was going to happen once we got to the location. So they said, you're going to, we're just going to send a pin to your phone, so just give you a location. You're not going to know the names, and don't ask names. Just show the Uber driver, the equivalent of Uber there, uh, the driver, the pin. You're going to get out of the vehicle when they get you there, and you're just going to start walking down the street, and somebody's going to peek their head out the door. And they're going to look at you, you're going to look at them, and you're just going to lock eyes. And when you know that it's them, they know it's you, you just kind of give a little bit of a nod and then just go in their house. So sure enough, sent the pin, got in the car, um, drove to the location, stopped got out, started walking down the street, and this gentleman popped his head out the door, and uh, he looked at me, I looked at him, just gave each other a little bit of the head knob, and uh, walked in. We walked past the entry, just me and one other gentleman, walked past the entry, um, this little courtyard area that was all like decorated with pink balloons and ribbons and stuff, we walked right by there, didn't say anything about it, just walked right by there, walked through uh, um, a living room, walked through a bedroom, walked into a bathroom, Behind the uh, shower curtain, there's like this false door. Open up the false door. And the soundproof room with about 30 people worshiping Jesus with everything they had. I mean, it was not like German-Norwegian worship. It was like go-crazy worship. Like, I mean, nothing holding them back. This is in a context where if they were caught, they could be beheaded on the spot. And at the end of it, the the leader, not really the pastor, but kind of the leader uh, just said, we've been waiting for 30 years for somebody to come encourage us. I said, there are churches in America that are standing with you and will resource you and pray for you and do whatever we can to help you. And it was like this puzzled look, like, are you serious? And I said, I am dead serious. There are people that are behind you and praying that this would continue to grow and the gospel would spread because the gates of hell cannot stand against it. No matter what they try to do, it will continue to spread. And I said, what's the deal with the ribbons and the balloons? And and he said, uh, well, if there's religious police come in, um, we have to have a cover, and so it's, it's your birthday. I was like, but I don't like pink. He goes, no, no, I didn't say that. He goes, we have to have a cover. There are places that have to put measures in place just to get together, just to worship Jesus, and the cost of that is something that we can't even comprehend and understand. Again, I'm not talking about years and years and years and years ago. I'm talking about right now, 2022. You know, there is an imbalance, as I said. The unequal distribution of the resources is is crazy. I mean, 99.99% going to places that have already been reached, or staying in our local community to 0.01% to the 42% of the world that's still waiting to hear. I know that's a lot of percentages, but you're following me, right? Less than 10% of the missionaries that are currently being sent out are going to the unreached places because they're the dangerous places. They're the hard places. They're expensive places. In many of the places, you have to create a business platform. You cannot just walk in and say, I'm a missionary. You have to have a legitimate reason for being there, and many of those reasons is a business that's actually producing income, and you get a, a business visa to do that. And so it's not easy. It's not cheap to get into these places, and it's not easy to stay in these places. But it's worth it because the gospel is worth it. The challenge is that there's a lot of misunderstanding and misconceptions about missions. One of them, uh, let's just talk about scripture translation for a minute. Many would say, well, isn't the whole world connected to the internet? And if you're connected to the internet, can't you get the Bible on your phone? 40% 
40% of the world is not even connected to the internet, so there goes 40% of the world. They can't access what you and I can just access fingertips. Even if they could access it, there's 2,000 language groups that aren't even written into a language that they could understand. So even if that 60% can access it, if they access it, they can't read it because it's not written in the language. Some of them that it is translated into their languages, the countries block it. The local jurisdiction, they block it or they filter it so it's not equal everywhere. And in some places, they actually don't block it because they want to track it and use it as a tool to persecute Christians and identify where the hubs of Christians are so they can shut it down. I remember a friend giving me a, uh, uh, just kind of looked like a blank journal. And he handed it to me and he was like, what are on those pages? And I flipped through it and I said, nothing. Because that's not true. And uh, I said, well, I don't see anything. And so then he pulls out a little black light flashlight. And he goes, turn off the lights and flash the light. So turn off the lights and I flash the light. And all of a sudden, Arabic pops up. The, the words are written in, you know, black light, where the only way to access it is to actually turn off the lights. This is the reality of some people in some places that even just to open up Scripture to hear the, the words that Jesus spoke to them have to be done in the privacy and undercover and in many, many ways that we don't even understand. My wife and I, as we started to hear about this, and it started to sink in some of the statistics and some of the realities and the places that we see. It started to get really personal, and we just felt like, Lord, what, what can we do? Like, I don't have a large following. I don't, I don't do social media. Like, I'm not an influencer. I don't have a TV show. Like, what can I do? And I thought of the little boy and the crowd of the 5,000 that had some fish and some bread, and I said, well, that little boy had the faith to believe that in Jesus' hands, miracles can happen. And I said, I don't have much, but what I have, I'm going to offer it to him. And so we started this little thing called Project 42, and we got a few friends together um, and, and just said, we're going to try to do as much as we can for the 42%. I've got a lot of friends that are on the front lines of the 42%. I know a lot of organizations that are doing what they can do uh, to affect the 42% um, of the world that's still waiting. <clears throat> And we, we started this thing, and by word of mouth, it just started spreading. And tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands, and now millions of dollars is being raised for this. And this is just something that we just do kind of on the side, if you will. And churches like River of Life have heard about this through word of mouth, and you guys are behind it in ways you don't even know about. And there's lots of things that we can't even talk about from the stage because it puts the security of the missionaries at risk. But you guys, every single month, are helping people in places like I'm just describing have access to the gospel of Jesus Christ. A couple years ago, um, my wife and I sat down with this pastor and his wife to tell them about the vision of Project 42, and they just lit up right away, and they said, we're in. We're going to help. We're all about this. And, uh, and, and they came to one of our gatherings, like Pastor Kyle was, was describing, and they, uh, they pledged a huge amount of money. And it, was, it wasn't a big church, smaller than this church. And I was blown away by their pledge. And um, the next year, the pastor's wife got cancer and she died. And it just kind of did a tailspin in the church for a period of time. And, uh, and they weren't able to fulfill the pledge. And then last year, they said, would you come down and would you just share the heart, share the vision similar to this? And I did, and they had a goal of raising uh, about five to $10,000 for this uh, Bible translation for this community that never had Scripture in their own language. And after the first service, um, they had raised it. They had raised their total goal after the first service. So then after the second, sir, uh, before the start of the second service, he says, can we do another project? And so this church, in six weeks, went from a $5,000 to $10,000 goal to 51000 The pledge of this pastor's wife a couple years earlier was $50,000. 
it was fulfilled, not in the timeline that I thought, not in the timeline that they thought, but God's faithfulness and people's generosity made that goal uh, be, become accomplished. And literally tens of thousands of people that had never had access to Scripture before got access. When we step out in obedience, we don't always know how it's going to work. It may not follow the timeline or exactly how and take twists and turns. that we. Do, but obedience is always the right thing. Say, Lord, Whatever you ask me to do, I'm going to step out and I'm going to do it and I'm going to trust you with the results. And I love the faith uh, of, of Pastor Kyle and his community to say, I don't know. Can we do the 15? Can we do the 30? Can we do all of it? I don't know. It's, it's here. It's just, are you going to respond and say, Lord, I'll, I'll do my part. Like that little boy in the crowd of the 5,000. I'll take what I have. I'll do my part. Here's the problem with a sermon like this. <clears throat> you may hear Anne's story. You may hear my story. You may hear a different missionary story. or You may know Pastor Kyle and, and the team, their heart, and say, that's good for them. Obviously, it's personal to them. Obviously, it's something that they're passionate about. But I got my thing. You got your thing. You do you. you I'll do me. We're fine. We're good. You just do that. Here's the problem with that thinking. It's extremely personal to God. It's extremely personal to God. He reveals his passion in the most well-known verse in all the Bible, John 3, 16. If you grew up in church, you know it. If you didn't grow up in church, you probably still know it. For God so loved the world that he was willing to give up his son. Now, I don't know that kind of love because I can't think of anything that I would give up my kids for. But he said, I will give up my son for something that I love. So great. And he wasn't a mean and cruel father that forced his son. In fact, Scripture says that Jesus said, if there's any other way, take this cup from me. Take this suffering from me. But nevertheless, Father, your will be done, not mine. So his son saw the passion of his father and said, I want to be about your will. I want to do whatever it takes. I'm going to do it, even if it costs me my life. And he laid down his life. We also know that it's his passion because in Revelation 7, 9, uh, the, uh, John, Apostle John gives us this revelation that the Lord gave him that in uh, Revelation 7, 9, we see that every tribe, every tongue, and every nation is going to be gathered around the throne, giving Jesus the praise and the glory and the honor that he is worthy of. This is the end goal. This is the goal of it all, is that every tribe, every tongue, every nation, if this is the end goal, it needs to be our goal as well. We have to be passionate and personal, personally care about, has every tribe, has every tongue, has every nation even had an opportunity to hear? Jesus tells us in his last words on earth, it's repeated in all four Gospels and then in the book of Acts, go into all the world, Matthew 28, 19, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. He's not talking to an elite, elite group of missionaries. He is talking to people who identify themselves as a follower of his and says, go take this gospel into all the earth, making disciples of all nations. Luke 15, here we are. If you, uh, if you got your Bibles, turn to Luke 15, 4. He gives this uh, analogy of a lost sheep. He's revealing his passion. It says, Luke 15, 4, it says, Which one of you would not leave the 99 to go looking for the lost one until he finds it? So he paints this picture of this, these hundred sheep, and he starts counting, and he realizes there's one missing. And he's like, I will go into the ends of the earth to find that lost sheep until they're found. He will leave the 99 and go find that one until they're found. He reveals the passion. He gives another one just a couple verses later in Luke 15, 8. He says, um, talking about this lost coin, and he describes the urgency. Who wouldn't light a lamp in the middle of the night and search carefully? In other words, he's saying, I'll even wake up. I'll go without sleep. And I'll light a lamp. And I will search, and I will search, and I will search until the lost are found. Then he talks about the joy of doing this in Luke 15, 22 through 23. He's talking about the prodigal son. Um, the father 
you know, he's, he's describing his own heart. He says, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us feast and celebrate. This is the reaction when the lost have been found. That God celebrates. He's joy-filled. This should be our response. There's a passion. There's an urgency. There's a joy when the lost are found that we get to be a part of it. Let me make an important point, especially for those that maybe you wouldn't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ yet. Maybe you came because your mom invited you or your dad invited you or it's just the thing that you do, but you wouldn't identify yourself as a follower of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just describing his passion for an animal or an inanimate object or this prodigal son. He's describing his passion for you. This is what he did for you. His passion was, I will give my life to cover your sins, to cover your faults, to cover your blame, all the things that you've done wrong, I will put my perfection over it. Scripture says that he is the only one that was perfect and that his perfect sacrifice covers our imperfect sins. That's the beauty of the gospel, that he took on our sin, he took on our shame. And when you make that personal, not just somebody else, when you make that personable, it changes your life, it changes your perspective, and you're like, I'm not keeping this to myself. i got to share this with anyone and everyone that I can. So how about you? Is it personal to you? Is this great commission, is this sharing the gospel to the ends of the earth, something that is personal and passionate. And maybe some of you, if you're just being honest, I'm not looking for a show of hands, you would say, it's not. It clearly is to you, but it's not in me. Can I give you just some, just some simple practical things to allow God to just drop it more and more and more into your heart? The first thing that I would say is referencing uh, John 15:4. He's telling his disciples, says, abide in me. Just spend time with me. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot uh, bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. What's he saying? He's saying, just spend time in my presence. Open up my word and let my words just start to just penetrate your heart and your mind. In Psalms 2, 8, it says, ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance. He's saying that we can literally pray that the Lord would give us nations as our our spiritual inheritance and he will give it to us. To me, that's far greater than any financial gain, but to say, God, would you give Uzbekistan to River of Life Church? Would the people of Uzbekistan, may their heart and their eyes be opened up to your goodness and your grace and your mercy? He says, we can literally pray for that. There's a great resource called joshuaproject.net. Joshuaproject.net. Every single day, they list one of the 7,000 unreached people groups, and it gives you a little bit of information about the culture and the context and the demographics of that. And every single day, you can pray for a different country. You can search for days and days and days with all the data that's there. Uh, But joshuaproject.net is an incredible resource. I'd also say, open your eyes to those around you. There are international people all around. There's surveys that said that 80% of people that have come from another country to America never once in their entire uh, time in America will ever be invited into the home of a a Christian. 80%. Never once be invited into the home. My wife and I um, had a, a, a minivan that had hail damage all over it. And it was driving me nuts. And I was like, we need to sell this thing because it, I mean, minivans are not cool already. But then hail damage minivans are even less cool. Um, and, I mean, if you're anti-minivan, they're awesome. I'm, I'm dead serious. They're amazing. I was totally against it. Now I love it. Just so practical. Good. But I was like, we need to sell this thing. Let's get one without hail damage. And, uh, and this couple came over. And um, uh, they weren't from the United States. Um, very, very thick accent. And we just started talking. I said, would you ever want to come over and have a meal with us? 
And they said, um, are you serious? I said, yeah, very serious. My wife's a great cook. Would love to, love to uh, make a meal. And uh, they came into our home and their beautiful little daughter. And we sat around the table and we prayed for the meal. And um, it's been hours just talking. And I said, this is the first time. We've lived here for three years. This is the first time we've ever been in the home of an American. We've been into their home many times. They've been into our home many times. We've taken them to family celebrations. And it's like they're kind of part of the family right now. And um, I don't know how long the Lord will give us a relationship with them. Hopefully it's, it's forever. But um, she takes the baby to the doctor's appointment. She calls my wife and is like, I don't know, this is what they're saying. What should I do? I don't know. Is that okay? Should I do that? What? You know, like she's got no one. And um, my wife saw a post that uh, this gal put on, she said, I prayed for years that God would give me a best friend, and I found one. She didn't put my wife's name, but I'm pretty sure it's my wife, and um, all we did is just say hello. Said, would you come into our home? And maybe you're an introvert, maybe it's difficult for you to open up your home and your arms like that, but anybody can talk about the facts. As a, I'm an introvert. As a pastor, I've learned some, like, pastor tricks. And one of the pastor tricks is anybody can talk about the facts. Think of an acronym, FACTS, F-A-C-T-S. Anybody can talk about facts. Tell me about your family. Big family, small family, good family, difficult family. Like, talk about your family. Easy conversation. You can just talk about family, and then you can talk about your family. You can ask more questions about their family, their tradition, their culture, family. And then A, activity. What do you like to do for fun? If you have a day off, what do you do for fun? Activity. You can talk about activities, your activities, your hobbies, their hobbies, all day long. See, career. What do you want to do is in, like, do you like your job? Do you want a different job? Do you want, what's your dream job? I mean, you can talk about your job, so you talk about career. And then you can transition to something spiritual. And more often than not, when you start talking about the facts of somebody's life, you see, like, there's, there's something in there that's missing. There's a broken part. There's a hurt. Maybe they don't have a relationship with their father. Maybe they don't have a vision or a purpose for their life. And, and that's where you can present the gospel of Jesus Christ and the goodness and the mercy and the grace of Jesus. And the Bible says that he will give you the words to say. You don't have to think about it. It's just something prompts your heart. And it just you just start hearing yourself talk. A beautiful way is to just engage in a relationship with people that maybe don't look like you, maybe don't talk like you, and just open up your life and open up. The last thing, and very important, is what are you doing with your money? Because money isn't about money. Money is about your heart. Jesus said to his disciples, where you put your treasure, your heart is going to go. Money is a heart thing. And when, when we think about just consuming it just for ourselves, our heart becomes focused on just ourselves, our needs, our wants, our desires, our world. But when we start to open it up and let it go and say, I want to send it to those that have never heard, your heart enlarges and your eyes open up and it just changes everything. It's, it's the way you were designed is to care about more than just your little world. And it's significant to you, but when you take off, your, take off the perspective of your world and open up your eyes, just things just become way more clear. And you lend a helping hand, and you use the resources that God has put in your hands. I want to end with this illustration. Um, right after World War II, there was a Dutch missionary who's called Brother Andrew. They called him the God Smuggler. Because he heard of a bunch of people in the Eastern Bloc nations that didn't have access to the gospel. He goes, I'm just going to start smuggling scripture in. So he went into this one particular country and he told them about the gospel. And uh, he said, do you want to receive the gospel? And hands went up and there's this little house church and hands went up and he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want every day you just read the Bible. And he goes, the mood of the room changed. And he was like, what? Like every day, just grab your Bible and read it. And like this weird look, and they were kind of looking at each other. And so he kind of stopped, and he said, what's the deal? Like, what am I missing? He goes, none of us have a Bible. How do we read a Bible that we don't have? He says, none of you have a Bible? He goes, none of us. He goes, let me try to get him in. 
And so he started smuggling in tens, and then hundreds, and then tens of thousands, and hundreds of thousands. In fact, in one night, he, he started doing this across 60 different countries. In fact, one night, he smuggled a million Bibles into China. Just this simple Dutch guy. He can read the book called uh, God Smuggler. He let it get personal. He didn't just say, that's somebody else's problem. That's somebody else's thing. That's somebody else's pat. Like, I'm re- like, I heard about it. Now I'm responsible for it. I'm going to do something about it. And I just think of all the lives that would not have been impacted if he just held it at arm's length and said, that's somebody else's thing. Says, no, no, that's a God thing. That's, if he's passionate about it, if he loves them, I should be passionate about them, and I should love them. And so I'm going to just ask you to open up your heart and say, God, if it's not passionate in your heart, if it's not personal to you, I'm going to say, God, would you just start speaking to people? Would you make it become a a burning passion in the heart of River of Life Church and to the people of River of Life? And we're going to give an opportunity to you. Some of you weren't here last week. Some of you guys maybe wanted to give last week and you didn't. And Kyle said, can you just, can you ask them? Can you give them an opportunity? I said, it'd be my honor to do it. And so we're going to give you another opportunity to participate in the offering. If you gave last time and you gave what God told you to do, don't feel compelled or don't feel under compulsion to do it. Maybe you didn't give what you knew you were supposed to give or maybe you didn't have an opportunity. We're going to give you the opportunity to give. And I know what happens. I know you start to think, because it happens to me, my wife and I all the time, we start to think of the needs and the, the responsibilities and the obligations and the commitments that are made, and you start to worry like, if I do that, then what? Matthew 6, Jesus said to his disciples, put first the kingdom and all these things that you have worry about will be taken care of. He is so good. He is so gracious. I think maybe I said this last time, but um, think of that little boy in the crowd of the 5,000. He gave up the bread and the fish that he had so that others could eat. I have to believe that that little boy thought to himself, if I give this up, maybe I don't eat. If I give this away, maybe my need isn't going to be met. And we know from Scripture that, yeah, way more than his need was met, everyone's need was met, and there's basketfuls left over. But, But here's my question. Do you really think that that little boy was the only one in the crowd that had, like, some bread and fish? We don't know from Scripture, but you don't think that there was another mom that had the foresight to say, here's some, here's some food. It's going to be a long day. You don't think there was another teenager that had a baguette in their back pocket that was like, there's not a chance I'm sharing this. I need this. Maybe that little boy was the only one that had the courage to trust that man, Jesus, and give what he had, and Jesus did miracles. Jesus is able to do far more than we could ever hope or imagine when we learn to trust him and say, God, your will, not mine. I'm trusting you. You've given everything to me. You've given me the breath that I breathe, the strength that I have to even get the job, to have the resources. I trust you with it all. You can take it. You can use it for your glory and your honor. Would you uh, pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for your goodness, your grace that is new every single morning. God, I pray that the passion for the world would continue to stir in the hearts of every single man, woman, and child in this church. God, I pray that their eyes would lift up, their heart would open up far beyond this community, not ignore the needs of this community, not not forget about the needs of this community, but also not ignore or forget about the needs of the ends of this earth. We know that your eyes are are searching this earth for those that you can trust. God, I pray that you can trust the community of River of Life to say we will not only meet the needs of this community, but we will do everything that we can to meet the needs of those who have never had a chance to hear the gospel. God, may generosity flow, may trust flow, may hearts be changed for your glory and your honor so that every tribe and every tongue and every nation could hear. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.
If the ushers could come forward, I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Kyle to come up and uh, direct. But uh, I believe that there's some offering envelopes there, and Pastor Kyle can give uh, some direction. Yeah, thanks so much, Justin. Come on, put your hands together. Um, music team, will you please come as well? Just to be clear, this offering is 100% uh, going to our Uzbekistan project, where we are uh, sending missionaries to a place that does not have them and is just kind of opening up, and this is funding that. Uh, it's personal to me. It is. And um, I'm so moved when I hear stories of what people around the world are, are going through, are sacrificing uh, every single day in order to be a follower of Jesus. And I know that God has called me to personally be involved in that and, and really asked me to lead our church in that direction as well. So that's what this is. If you want to, if you want to give online, you know, maybe you're even watching this right now behind a screen, and uh, man, you're a part of our family. You may not be physically here, but you have an opportunity to to give and be a part of what God is doing around the world in this specific project. And you can go right on our website. If you don't see a link on anything, you can go right to our website, rlcmn.church, and uh, you can select the Uzbekistan thing for that. But will you stand with me all over this place? Just one final thing here before we're done. Uh, maybe you're maybe you're here today, and and you know that you don't personally have a relationship with Jesus. We we always every week want to just we want to give people an opportunity to respond uh, personally as well. And uh, understand, God God loves you. Uh, we are all sinners. We're all separated from this perfect God who created us. It's why he sent Jesus to die, to die for you and to die for me so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be free, so we could be connected and uh, that relationship with God could be restored. And how you handle uh, Jesus in your life is the most important decision that you could ever make. Uh, and, and with no one looking around, just for a moment of privacy and reflection before we're done, who here in this place would just simply say, I have never personally responded to the message of Jesus for me. And today, I want, I want this to be that day. I want to do that now. If that's you, will you just show me your hand? Just show me your hand. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. You can put your hand down. If you're watching online right now, you can respond to this as well. This is for you, okay? Anyone else that would just, just for a moment say, yes, today is my day. I want to respond to the message of Jesus for me personally. And church, can we just say a prayer together? These aren't magic words. That's not how this works. It's a heart thing between you and God. But let's just pray this together. Pray, Father God, I give you my life. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Forgive me of my sins and change my life. In your name I pray. Come on, can we put our hands together and let's celebrate that. If that was for you today, we celebrate with you. All right, come on. And may, may, may we walk out these doors today with a new passion for the world and a passion for what God, what, what matters to God. Amen.